Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hello again. Thank you for joining me, plant friends, here at the Plow and Hose backyard patio and studio. I'm just sitting out here today and just really loving this cooler weather. Uh, I don't think that the temperatures have really been all that different during the day between, you know, this past week and the week before, but there's been a whole lot less humidity in the air and that just helps it feel cooler. Plus, you know, we've got the days are getting a little bit shorter and our nighttime temperatures have cooled off. Uh, so by the time that morning comes around, they're just so nice and cool and it's, it's really amazing. Um, one day, uh, one morning this week, um, it was actually on the chilly side when I went out to go do my morning chores and I was like, oh, I kind of like this. I think it's kind of great. And it was just really exciting and invigorating. And I just felt great the rest of the day, thanks to um, kind of that dip in the temperatures. We hadn't had that in a long time. And I gotta say, I'm not the only one who was a bit, I don't know, rejuvenated by the cooler temperatures. And that's because my cats have been a lot more active since it's gotten um, gotten to be a little bit cooler, and especially one of my um, one of my older cats. I have a 15-year-old male cat. His name is Rudy, and uh, he's been you know acting like an older guy. But I had come home one day this week for lunch, and he was just running around, just completely bonkers. And it was just really nice to see him being very playful. And I don't know, it just kind of warmed my heart because he was acting more like a kitten or a young cat. And it's been a while since I've kind of seen that in him. As far as the garden goes, I'm not sure if my plants are enjoying this slightly cooler temperatures or not. I mean, it's still, it still heats up during the day. And it, like I said, it's kind of hard to tell because we are in between these growing seasons where the summer garden is looking bad, it's starting to fade, and the fall garden just really hasn't taken off yet. Around my yard, you know, I was assessing my plants and things aren't really looking all that great. I had left, I decided to um, leave my tomatoes. Instead of pulling them out, I just cut them way back and they're still kind of responding to um, getting cut back like that so they are looking pretty scraggly and not doing very much I mean I I really can't blame them because it has been um, hot I don't do a whole lot not very productive when I'm hot either but I also noticed that my um, okra had gotten really really tall um, 
getting up there seven, maybe even eight feet tall. And I was having a hard time um, harvesting them, harvesting the pods. And I was like, all right, these are getting too, too tall. So I just got my little pruners and I clipped the tops off of all of those plants. Now this is sometimes called topping a plant. Um, and for flowering plants, the same idea is called deadheading. Both topping a plant and deadheading flowers it does the same thing. When you trim a plant, especially the main stem, the plant refocuses its energy and all the growth hormones into the side branches. So instead of continuing to grow straight up, the plant gets bushier and it will start putting out more flowers. Flowers exist for one reason, and that is reproduction. They want to, uh, flowers are the, the way that they make seeds, and when we have more flowers and more seeds, we get more plants. Now, when a, a bug pollinates a flower, the plant goes into seed making mode, and the plant puts all of, all of the energy into making seeds, and then it stops making more flowers. So if you want more flowers, then you got to trick them by cutting off the top of the flower or removing blossoms. For my okra and other vegetables like peppers, pinching out the top or cutting them back, this stimulates them to push out more flowers um, from the side branches. So we end up getting more okra or more peppers or whatever, more flowers. Okay, I know I said that I didn't have a whole lot going on in my yard right now, but that's not exactly true because there's actually quite a bit of uh, cool plant stuff going on back here. Um, I, I didn't really realize it because most of these things I didn't intentionally plant, but it's really kind of interesting that all of these plants that have some um, have something in common, and that's because they're all red. So like right now, I have lots of Turk's cap, um, both the blossoms, they have that cute little red blossom, and they put out a small red colored um, seed pod. I've got a lot of those, and I've got tons of little red currant tomatoes that are about the size of a marble. Um, I didn't plant these either because they have just volunteered all over the place. They are super, super prolific. And I'm not kidding you, they are all over, all over the place. I even have one that's climbing through my loquat tree. And that's fine because I still have not gotten back to, I've not cut back all those dead branches um, back when they froze back in February. So I kind of like having a little bit of life climbing through my, my low quad tree. I also have um, a couple of roselle plants that I planted from seeds earlier this year. And they grew and grew and grew all summer long. But now they're finally starting to bloom. And I'm really quite excited because I've tried to grow roselle before. And this is the first time that I've had any sort of success 
And now they're blooming, and I'm going to get to harvest them really soon. Roselle plants are relatives to cotton, okra, and ornamental hibiscus, and it grows really well here in Central Texas. I think you're familiar with this plant. Roselle has about half a billion different names, um, depending on where it grows. You know, some people call it Jamaican sorrel. In Florida, they call it Florida cranberry. Some people just call it hibiscus. Some folks even call it jelly okra. I haven't met anybody that has actually said that, but I did, I did see that that's one of the names um, for Roselle. But I'm thinking around here, the name that we are most likely to be familiar with in Texas is Florida Jamaica, or just Jamaica. It's, um, it's the herb that is used for making hibiscus tea or agua fresca, and it makes like this just gorgeous, beautiful ruby red tea. And you know, you can add a little bit of sugar or add some mint to it and it makes a really really refreshing drink. Roselle is different than regular ornamental hibiscus plants. They put up very similar flowers to their um, relatives. They you know hibiscus, cotton, okra, but roselle flowers are either cream colored or a pale pink and both of them have a beautiful burgundy center. They have green leaves and just gorgeous burgundy stems. And the kind that I planted this year are pale, they have pale pink flowers. And with that, that burgundy center, oh, they're just so, so pretty. The part of the roselle that people grow to eat or to make tea, it's not the blossom but it's the calyx of the flower. The calyx is part of the flower that surrounds the flower bud before it opens. The calyx is like a small leafy cup between the petals and the stem. On most flowers, the calyx is green. On roselle flowers, the calyx is that burgundy and it's thick and really fleshy. Since this is my first year getting to harvest them, um, I did do a little research because I want to make sure that they were ready so I consulted um, a plant friend of mine that way I would know exactly when they're ready to pick and I want to share with you what I learned just like ornamental hibiscus roselle blossoms last just one day and once the roselle flowers start to wither and fall off the calyx slowly closes around a white seed pod, and I, that seed pod's about an inch around, maybe a little bit smaller. After a week or so, the calyx will completely cover that seed pod, and then it forms a pointy tip. And according to everything that I found out, that this is really the best time to harvest the calyx. And you just go in there with a pair of scissors or a pair of pruners and just cut them off. You need to remove the seed pod before you eat them. You don't want to eat that seed pod. Until all I'm going to do is I'm going to slice the sides of the calyx and then remove that seed pod. Um, you can save the seeds for later or just throw them in the compost. 
Roselle calices are wonderful, fresh, and I'm really, really looking forward to picking mine. They are tart and mouth-watering, and they have just a juicy cranberry lemony flavor. I don't know, they're just, they're, they're really, really good, especially this time of year when, when it's kind of hot and want something refreshing. Fresh Roselle would be, you know, you could put them in a salad, you could put them in a smoothie, really any way that you would use cranberries, you can use Roselle. You can make Roselle jam. They are naturally high in pectin, so you don't even have to add extra pectin if you want to make jam. The lemony tart flavor, when you dry it, it just, that, that flavor just concentrates and it's really, really tasty, even, even dried. You can, save, um, you can save your dried Roselle to make tea later or like a special drink. Um, in Caribbean countries, families celebrate um, their winter holidays with a beverage called sorrel, and it's made with um, the Roselle, dried Roselle, and ginger and sugar and mint and all kinds of spices and some extra citrus in there and then they top it off with some alcohol and this drink um the sorrel and then also um jamaica agua fresca those two are the original red drinks and to me it's like Mother Nature's Kool-Aid. At least that's what I associate it with. It's got that same bright Kool-Aid red color. And like I said, I'm super, super excited about getting to pick mine this year. Um, I don't think I'll really have enough to eat them fresh and save some back for tea. So, I don't know. I think I'm just going to eat them fresh. I don't know. I have like a whole week to to decide and see how many I end up with, but I'll let you know what I do. Another plant that I have noticed um, being kind of happy here in my backyard, it it's a vine that always grows like along my fences, and um, they're kind of, they pop up pretty randomly um, all over the place during the summer. And they've, they've started to put on these cute little red berries. And they look like l little clusters of Christmas berries, like holly berries. Um, they really are that, look very similar to those. They're like the size of like a small pea. And this vine is called snail seed. It's a native plant for us here in Texas. It has a nice green heart-shaped leaf. And it grows really, really well here in Texas. And when it's happy, it can grow up to 15 feet long. It's a climbing vine, so it doesn't have ten tendrils. It doesn't grab onto um, structures. It needs a support like a fence or a tree where it will twine around um, the support. It is a really vigorous and a strong grower and if you ever have it in your yard, once it gets established, it's really hard to get rid of. You have to just cut it down at the base and hope it doesn't come back, but it always comes back. 
Snail seed flowers are small and unremarkable, and every year I go the whole growing season with never ever noticing the flowers. They, those little flowers just quietly do their thing, and the next thing I know, I discover lots of clusters of those little red berries. Now, you don't want to pick these berries or eat them because they are poisonous to people. So if you've got little kids that are around, make sure that you tell them not to eat them. Tell them that you're saving them for the birds because the birds absolutely love those berries. Those berries develop and stay on the vine all through the fall. But when the first frost comes, which is usually like late November here in Central Texas, the leaves are going to die back, and that's when you um, are really going to notice all the cute clusters of those berries. And you won't be the only one who notices them then. The birds are also going to find them, and the berries won't last very long after the leaves um, freeze back. I guess they don't freeze. They frost. They don't survive the frost. Now, as far as the name goes, you wouldn't know from looking at the vine or the berries, but it's called snail seed because inside those berries, there's a seed that looks just like a little snail shell. And, you know, so many times plants have names that just don't make any sense, but this one's a pretty good one, and I like it. It's kind of subversive. I mean, it's such an obvious name, but it's also not obvious because you wouldn't know that unless you got inside the berry and saw the, the snail seed. So it's like a little plant secret. So I kind of like that. <laughs> you are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www black sparrow music parlor and check out the station and learn all about the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from taylor texas while you're out on the internet be sure to stop by the plan host facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to where you get your podcasts and subscribe to the plan host podcast if you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, please download some episodes and take a sec and leave a review. This is going to help others find the show, and downloading Plow and Hose episodes actually helps provide me with show statistics, so please go do that. I've got uh, something else I might as well tell you to do since I'm telling you to do all these other things. Um, I want to let you know about my brand new website, plowandhose.com. It's uh, taken me a little while to get the website up, but it's there now, and I'm really pleased to have that done. It's uh, kind of simple right now, but I've got lots of ideas, and I really would love for you to go check out the page and sign in, sign up with your email. 
Um, so I can let you know when I've got cool things going on. I'll just send like a, a quick newsletter or something. Um, right now, I've got some hot things going on in my backyard. And by that, I mean lots and lots of hot little things. Because all along my fence line and under some of the trees in my, on my property, in my backyard, I've got wild chili pepper plants with hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of tiny little red peppers. And I totally did not intentionally plant these. Um, the birds did that, and that's why they're under trees and along the fence line. I have always known them as bird chilies, um, but you might be more familiar with them with their real name, um, Chiltepin peppers. They're also sometimes called um, chili pekins since they are um, little peppers. Both pekins and um, Chiltepins are Chiltepins. They are itty bitty and super, super spicy. Chili pekins are a little bit bigger and they're pointy. And to me, they look like little tiny Christmas light bulbs. Chiltepins are more rounded and they're, um, they're smaller than like a pea, but also, but they're bigger than a BB. I don't know if that helps you visualize them, but Chiltepins have a smaller leaf than Chili Pekins, but both these guys, both the Chiltepins and the Chili Pekins, grow wild here in Texas and honestly it's kind of confusing uh, to try to distinguish them but Pekins are pointy so P for Pekin, P for pointy, maybe that will help you remember. The Pekins are more likely to be the plants that are sold in nurseries around here I've never noticed the rounded um, chiltepine plants for sale, but that doesn't mean they're not available. Um, I've got them growing all over the place, so I've not been in the market for shopping for or buying chiltepine plants or seeds. I got plenty around here. I've got so, so many. I haven't, haven't been looking for them at the store. Chiltepins grow really well here, and they only get to be about four feet tall, maybe four feet wide. They like to grow under trees, and they actually can take um, quite a bit of shade. Ideally, they're like all other plants, though. Um, they prefer um, morning sun with afternoon shade here in Central Texas. Since they are a native plant, they are extremely drought tolerant. And I can vouch for that because I absolutely do not water mine at all. I mean, for one thing, I didn't plant these and they aren't growing anywhere near the water hose. So they are completely on their own for water, but they are tough, tough plants. They do tend to produce more peppers during um, the years when we have more rainfall. 
And this year here in Taylor and in Central Texas, we've had a lot more precipitation than usual. So it's a really good year for the Chiltepins. Like I mentioned, both the Chili Pekin and the Chiltepin are both really, really hot peppers, like deceptively hot. They are really cute and they're tiny and they're bright and cheery cherry red, but they actually rank pretty high on the pepper scale. So like if a bell pepper is a zero out of 10, Chiltepins are eight out of 10. They are pretty hot little suckers there. Carolina Reapers, Ghost, and Scorpion Peppers, those are the hottest of all the peppers. And then Habaneros come in after them. But Chiltepins fall between Habanero and Cayenne Peppers. So not as hot as a, as a Habanero, but hotter than a Cayenne Pepper. Even though they're super tiny, Chiltepins really, really pack a punch, especially the first time that you have one. They take you by surprise. They are like a little flash of heat. But that heat doesn't really last all that long. It, it burns out. Um, some other peppers, like when you bite into them, they just continue to burn your mouth for quite a while after you eat them, but the intense heat of a Chiltepin, it dissipates pretty quickly. That I think that's pretty cool. And you really don't need very many of them if you want to add them um, to a dish. It'll um, give it a nice little bit of heat. They are definitely intense little peppers, and I don't know, they kind of look like angry little red tic-tacs. Right when you bite into a fresh uh, Chiltepin, they have a nice fruity flavor, but you forget all about the flavor because that intense heat just dominates and it takes over. But then it, it dissipates and goes away and you go right back for them. <laughs> Dried Chiltepins, of course, um, are just as intense, but they don't have that fresh, fruity flavor of a fresh one. Dried chiltepins are more earthy and they kind of have a smoky complexity that is really nice to add to um, your cooking. If you have access to fresh runs, you can add them to salsa or make hot pepper sauce or add a handful to like a bottle of vinegar so you can have um, spicy vinegar. You can wait until they're nice and red and ripe, but you don't have to. You can use them when they're green. Some people like to pickle them and use them when they're green. Since they are so tiny, um, it doesn't take very long for them to dry out in the sun. You can just spread them out on a cookie sheet and stick them out in the sun and they'll, they'll dry out real soon. You can store them after they're dried and save them for later, or you could even put your dried chiltepins in a coffee grinder or a spice mill and make a powder out of them and that you can use like cayenne. 
Chiltepins are the only native wild pepper that grows in the United States. They grow wild in Arizona, across Texas, and throughout Mexico, and even into Central America. Chiltepins are considered really special, and they're very important in the Southwest and in Northern Mexico. Indigenous people have used them in cooking, of course, but they also use them in medicine and they use them in rituals and stuff. Harvesting wild chiltepins is still an important source of income for Sonoran cultures in Mexico. They have a special name for the people who harvest chiltepins and they're called chiltepineros and they harvest um, chiltepins out in the Sonoran Desert all through the fall and into December. So they're getting ripe here and so um, they're ripe out in the Sonoran Desert. Surprisingly, chiltepins are a very valuable crop. Wild harvested chiltepins can sell for a whole lot of money. Um, I don't know what the chiltepineros get, but they gotta be making good money because I just did like a quick search and I found several, several websites selling um, dried chiltepins for almost $200 a pound. That seems crazy to me. And I'm just looking around my backyard and wondering how much I could sell mine for. So if you're interested in my backyard chiltepins, I got, I'll make you a really sweet deal. I won't sell them for $200 a pound. I'll do half that. I'll sell them for $100 a pound. How about that? Let me know. Honestly, I really would not sell them for any less because it's gonna probably take me five years to pick enough to make a full pound, they're so small. <laughs> I saw on the uh, weather forecast for this coming week that we might be getting some rain. And so, you know, we are, it's mid-September, so we're still in that window for um, hurricane, tropical storm season. So we actually could get some uh, rain here pretty soon, at least I hope so. That first decent rain after a long, hot summer is always so welcoming and it usually comes about this time of year right around um, when school goes back um, you know my kids have been back for a couple weeks now and they're always so excited to go back to school but I get excited too um, because this time of year one right when we get the hang of our new school routine one of my all-time favorite things happens and that's when the oxblood lilies bloom. I don't know if you've seen these lilies, but they are so amazing. They are seriously my absolute all-time favorite red flower. They're beautiful, and they just make me so happy. They are crazy looking. They have these bright blood red trumpet-shaped blossoms that pop straight out of the ground on these foot-long tall stems. No leaves, just 
olive green stems just stick straight and then they've got these pointy little bell-shaped flowers perched on top they look a bit like miniature versions of amaryllis but they're better better at least to me because they are just so cute and small some folks call them schoolhouse lilies since they bloom back uh, at back to school time some people call them red rain lilies because they look very similar to rain lilies. Rain lilies actually um, are a different species. Those guys are pale pink or pale yellow or like a white color, but there's no mistake. Oxblood lilies are a clear, rich, bright red, and it's just so, so vibrant. These little red jewels are, uh, they're kind of rare. While they are native to Argentina, they are kind of unusual outside of Central Texas. They only really grow here, and we are just so lucky to have them. So the story goes is that a German immigrant brought these to Central America from Argentina like 150 years ago. He shared them all across Central Texas, but I guess he didn't get very far because they aren't really found anywhere else, just here in Central Texas. They are kind of hard to find for sale. Um, I did find a website called Southern Bulb, but they're kind of pricey. They sell just three individual bulbs for 20 bucks, so, and um, they do sell out um, I think they might have already been sold out for this year, but you're, if you want some of these, your best chance to get some is try to get some pass-along plants and find somebody that has some that's willing to share with you. I've got a, um, a little story here. Um, back when we moved to Taylor about 15 years ago, I had a small cluster of these oxblood lilies that um, were kind of popped up in the yard. And I didn't have very many of them at all. I mean, like, you know, like the size of like a milk half gallon of milk that size. That's about the size of this little clump of oxblood lilies that I had. And the first year that they came up, I was just completely smitten. And over the next two or th year or two or so, I got a little obsessed with them. Um, because, you know, like 12 years ago, you couldn't just like go to the store and, and buy them. Um, you still can't. Um, you have to know somebody. And back then, I was a stay-at-home mom, and I had our third child. And so I put the baby in the back of the car like an hour or so before it was time to go pick up the oldest from kindergarten and we would just drive around until she fell asleep and during that time that's when I was looking for oxbud lilies I really did this I did that for like an entire month in 2007 um, I just would drive around Taylor with a two-month-old baby in the back looking for these oxblood lilies. And if I saw any, 
I jot down the um, the address, and then when I got back home, I would look up the address in the county uh, property records and try to contact the property owner and see if they would let me have some of their oxblood lilies. Um, it really, that sounds like a dumb idea, but I was determined to find somebody that would share theirs. And I only ever had one person who responded, but it was enough. I was able to find somebody. I had really just about given up on being able to acquire any bulbs, but this sweet lady called me back one day, and she actually turned out uh, to be a neighbor, um, but it wasn't at her house that I saw them. It was on her um, family property where I saw those oxblood lilies. And she was such a sw- so sweet to me, and she met me up at the family property, and she let me dig up some oxblood lilies, and it was just so wonderful and great. And she was happy, and I was happy, and we just um, visited a little bit, and she told me about her life and growing up on the farm there, and she told me that there were three kids in the family but she was the only girl, and she pointed over to like where the house had been, and she told me that her mother had planted pink iris under her bedroom window, and she planted blue and white irises under her brother's windows. That nice sweet lady um, passed away a while ago, but you know I drive by that property all the time. Um, it's actually near one of the schools, but. When I think about that day, it makes me smile. I planted my oxblood lilies that I got from her in my front flower bed, and they are kind of hard to see from the street, but they come up every year. And I have them in with my purple heart plants, and I just love that combination, just the red and the purple together. I don't know. I like it, and it's perfect for me, so I've got those out there. Now, I was thinking about these again, so I know I had taken a picture of them and posted it on Facebook, so I went back through my timeline and went all through my photos, and I found that I had posted that particular picture on September 25th, and I do remember that it wasn't the very first oxblood lilies that had popped up they were just the first ones I remember to take a picture of so I'm thinking that it's any day now that these guys are going to pop up and I'm really looking forward to, to seeing them again this year while I was looking up information about oxblood lilies I learned that they do tend to arrive right after the first rainfall of the fall so maybe with this upcoming rain my lilies will be coming up soon okay well i'm gonna wrap up the show thank you guys for joining me again today Um, don't forget to go check out my brand new website plowandhose.com hope you all have a great and hopefully wet week ahead